This week's Parsha is one of my favorite Parshas, and I'm not saying that because I always say that, uh, but it's, it is one of my favorite Parshas. It's a double Parsha. Uh, we have uh, Vayichel and Pekudei. Pekudei is the second one, and Pekudei is actually, Pekud is the word. You know, the other week I said when it said count the children of Israel that it didn't actually say count, that it said Kitisa, and Kitisa means to lift up the heads or Rather than count the people, it means make them count or give them value. Uh, this week's Parsha Vayichel actually begins, I mean, Pekudei rather, actually begins with the word for count. The actual word, like the sum of, adding up. So this one actually, the second Parsha for this week actually deals with that. And, and it's dealing with the collection of the, the offerings. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. You guys that have been around here know we believe that God expects us to be faithful in giving, and, and that's part of who we are and what we are. And, and I love the reading that uh, Rivka read where it said, not by, uh, where's it at? Extortion. You know, we're not trying to extort anybody, we'll, uh, you know, uh, holding you up on the way out. I, I, one of my favorite cartoons, I love one panel cartoons. Do, y'all, do you know what those are? Instead of having four, three, it's just one panel. Uh, My very favorite one is a picture of a government office hallway, and it's just a series of doors, and on each door it says Federal Office of Redundancy. And it's just on every door going down this hallway. Uh, That's my all-time favorite, but my second favorite is this cartoon of a, it, it looks like a church, a setting and it has the ushers and they have usher name tags and they're holding Tommy guns. And it says, ever since we got these new usher uniforms, our offerings have increased dramatically. I don't think we should ever have to do that. I think that God touches the hearts of people and people give. So I'm not going to delve a whole lot into the giving, but I do want to remind everybody that Passover is one of the Shalosh Regalim, one of the three pilgrimage feasts where we're supposed to, from a willing heart, give an offering to the Lord, uh, separate and different from our regular giving. So I want to encourage you, if God has blessed you, to be faithful in that way during the season of Pesach or Passover. But the part I wanted to talk about, actually three parts that I want to talk about today, uh, is that for years I've been hearing, and, and I'm sure when I say this, you'll be able to relate to this expression and this statement that is quite often made by leaders within the believing community, and they make statements like this. In the Old Testament, service to God was an outward thing, but in the New Testament, it's an inward thing. I've heard people say, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was outside and of people and moved on them, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit moved in them. Now, let me say that both of those statements are fundamentally categorically wrong. Uh, We know that for a fact that it's wrong to say that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was just on people, but in the New Testament, it was in people. And let me tell you how we can categorically say that. How many have heard of Yochanan HaMatbil or John the Immerser, John the Baptist? Anybody heard, heard of him? Okay, John the Baptist, he wasn't a Baptist. He was a nice Jewish guy. But 
What does it say about him when he was born? He was born full of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, nod your heads. This is true stuff. I'm not making this up. I read it this morning just to make sure it's still in my Bible. I checked the app and the paper version. So he was full of the Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. When did John the Immerser live? In the Old Testament. We read it in what book has been commonly referred to as the New Testament. But a testament begins when? The death of the testator. So everything that takes place in your New Testament that happens before Yeshua's death is Old Testament. And John the Baptist was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, in the Old Testament. Now, I could cite a whole bunch of other examples and how the word in and on are are interchangeable in the Hebrew language. Moses went in the mountain when he went up the mountain. Okay? So in and on is not as descriptive as we think it is, but so people were filled with the Spirit in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, just like they're filled with the Spirit in the New Testament. The difference is not the Spirit, but identifying whose Spirit it is and how that Spirit applies to our lives. And so we have this going on, and so, so I, I hear these people say in the Old Testament, everybody was, it was just outward faith, it was just legalism, they just, they just obeyed God because they had to, or the ground was going to open up and swallow them, or, or serpents would come and kill them or something, which by the way, sometimes I wish God still did. I mean, there, there's sometimes, not any of you, but other people that sometimes, you know, when they get one of those rebellious moments, wouldn't it be, like, wouldn't that change congregational behavior? Like if we walked in here and everybody was worshiping and then the the song leader was singing a song and someone in the audience got a rebellious thought and the ground just opened up, gone. It's kind of the way I advise parents to carry stones in their pockets. And if their kids start to act just a little rebellious, you just rattle the stones and remind them, Torah says, I get to stone you. You know, it's a behavioral modification device. But understand that in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in what we refer to as the Old Testament, God moved within people just like now. And we know that partly from this week's parasha. Over and over we read where God says, those that are moved by the Spirit, those with a willing heart, are to do these things. It wasn't an outward thing. It wasn't like God said, I want you to give and you have to, or I'm going to open the ground up, or, or fire is going to fall from heaven, or or I'm going to blot your name out of the book, or any of those things. It was, if you have a heart that is moved on by the Spirit of God, then give. And I love the fact that in this Parsha, Moses actually has to say, that's enough. I have never yet 
got to that place. I long for the day when we have, and we say, okay, it's enough. You can start giving somewhere else now. All our, everything's paid. We have enough money in the bank. We can live off the residuals. Just go ahead and, and give to another ministry. And when I, as I say that, I want you to understand that our synagogue gives usually between 40 and 50% of the money that comes into the synagogue out of the synagogue to other ministries and to other things. We support um, orphanages and schools and, and prison ministry and, and homeless ministry. And so we're a giving group, but I'm looking forward to the day when, we, when God's people have been so faithful and we have, uh, that we, we can say, look, stop. if you want to give it through here, do it, but all this 100% is going out to help other ministries and other places and people that need it. So I'm looking forward to being like Moses one day. Of course, he was a little older than I was. I am when that happens, so I have some time to go. But I just want to make the point, and it's important for us because I know that you confront people out there that are believers that will say things like, in the Old Testament, it was all about works, and in the New Testament, it's all about heart. And, you know, they get from like Hebrews 8 where it quotes Jeremiah and says, I will put my law in your heart. Uh, that doesn't mean that his law wasn't there to begin with. It says it was written on stone, but then he also said, obey it from your heart. One doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be stone or heart. It can be both and is. So that's one point. The next point I wanted to make was this week's Parsha, along with the Parshas around it, uh, portions of scriptures, the details for the tabernacle, are the most extensive list in the entire Bible about anything God does. The, you know, when we read about the, the creating of the universe, it's one chapter. You know, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it lists off about a chapter. After that second chapter, we get to Adam and Eve, and third chapter, the fall of man, but one whole chapter to the creation of the entire universe. And the tabernacle has chapter after chapter, law after law, commandment after commandment. It is full of information about how you make this, and what do you make this out of, and how you do this, and how you do this, and what do you do this, and how you do that. It is the most extensive list of information on any topic in the entire Bible. And yet it's clear as mud. It tells us to make toppings that look like almond uh, flowers, but it really doesn't tell us how big they need to be, how small they should be. How big the leaves? Should there be leaves? Should there just be the plow? Should, be, should there be a branch and Should there be, doesn't list any of that. It tells us to make posts for the tabernacle, but it doesn't tell us all of the how it looks, how it does, so the wood go this way, should it go this way? None of that is in there. It's the most extensive list of rules and regulations of commandments and instructions in the entire Bible. And still when we read it today, we go, well, I got some of it. The reason I say that is because one of the most important things you can learn about serving God 
is that we are never going to know everything. Not here. In the world to come, we'll know things. But here, there's a lot of information we don't know. And that's okay. People spend a lot of time digging into and digging into and digging into to find endless genealogies and endless things and endless information and they miss out on the point that the tabernacle wasn't about the commandments to make the tabernacle. It was about a place for God's spirit to dwell where we could fellowship with him. The reason we know that is because men, and when I say men, I mean men and women, the best way to know what God's intention was is to read what we do right afterwards. Because humanity generally does the opposite of anything God expected or wanted us to do. He wanted a tabernacle, a tent, a place that was temporary. In that tabernacle, there was supposed to be one table of showbread. There was supposed to be one menorah. There was supposed to be one eternal light or, or, or menorah flame there, the one altar of incense. By the time we have to the temple, how many menorahs are there? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You'll have to look. But it's more than one. How big was the menorah? The menorah, we see the menorah, like you go to Jerusalem, you can see the beautiful menorah that they've made at the Temple Institute so that they'd have this menorah that was prepared for the temple to be rebuilt, which, by the way, doesn't qualify according to the Torah, but does qualify according to the rabbinic interpretations of the Torah. This is a great example of where rabbinic in, in, interpretation absolutely fundamentally changes what God says. Because the menorah had to be made from one solid, pure piece of gold. And the menorah that's in Jerusalem that's prepared for this third temple is not solid gold. It's not from one piece of gold. And it's not pure gold. Why did God say pure gold? Because it's absolutely impossible to make a menorah out of pure gold. Pure gold is too weak. The arms would do that. In other words, in making the menorah, it involved a supernatural power to accomplish what only God could do with our working with him. By the time we get to the temple, there's a number of menorot. Why? Because, well, God said one, more must be better. It's now this huge structure. And with all of Solomon and David's desire to build this beautiful facility for God to dwell in, and it was. It was a facility so beautiful that people from all over the known world traveled to Jerusalem just to see the temple. When you get a chance, look at how big Solomon's house was. Because Solomon's house was two-thirds larger than the temple he built for God. Of course, he also had 300 wives and 700 concubines. God didn't have that many, so he didn't need as big a room. But the point is, you can see how God takes this simplicity and man makes it very difficult. And that's what's happened 
with us. This is what happened with our theology. It's what happens with a lot of things. I have friends, and you have friends, I'm sure, some of you. Some of you not so sure. But th- that, that will argue about the nature of God. How do you describe God? And people argue, he's one, he's three. He's one, he's three. And they'll argue to the point where they won't fellowship with each other. I've said this before, I'll say it a million times. You have two people arguing about something they readily admit they don't understand. And they won't fellowship with each other because the other person misunderstands it different than they do. We can't get along. Why? Well, you just don't misunderstand God the way I misunderstand him. Because the truth is, none of us understand God. I don't understand teenagers. I don't understand my wife. Do we really think there's any possibility that we'll understand God? We know God created the heaven and the earth, and he did it in six days. How long were six days? 24 hours. Was it 24 of our hours? I have no idea. I think it was. That's my opinion. But does it change that he made the world in any way? What day was time created? Evening and morning were created the first day, but what day was time created? Nobody knows. Nobody's going to guess. Have I, are you guys like, I'm not going to answer because I'll be wrong. What day was the sun and the moon created? The fourth day. Up until the fourth day, there was no meter for time. Just evening and morning. Now, I'm not saying that wasn't 24 hours, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about it because it doesn't change who God is. And I'm not going to argue about it because I wasn't there and there's no videotape evidence. He didn't list exactly how he did everything. Do I think it was 24 hours? Yes. Why? Because it seems to fit everything. And it's as close as I can get to it, but I'm not going to fight with somebody over that. There's so many things I can fight about the scripture actually says. If I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight for something I can point to. Like there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm going to fight for that. Because that's incontrovertible. There's nothing you can say. It's clear. It's plain text. How did God create animals? Now I kind of think in my weird mind that God started with you know like a chipmunk and he said this is a chipmunk then he made it a little longer pulled the tail fluffed it a little little ears okay colored this is now it's a squirrel okay now let's change the legs get a fluffy tail longer ears now it's a bunny rabbit and just went through now all that happened instantaneously 
but he thought about every bit of it. How many of you multitask? How many of you know that's physically impossible for humans? How many know it's even more impossible for men? We think we're multitasking, but we're not. We're just changing from one thing to another, doing everything badly in quick succession. God can multitask, humans can't. God can love everybody equally while being different in how he treats every one of us. We can't do that. I love my children equally differently. I feel bad for my children sometimes. I felt bad for David, Rabbi David, because when he was born, we were really poor. By the time Andrew was born six years later, we were less than really poor. So Andrew got to do things that David didn't get to do. Did that mean that I loved Andrew more than David? That's what I told them. No, it just meant I had more money. So poor David, he's like, well, I never got to do that. You love Andrew more. I said, that's right. Andrew would say, I want to go to the mall. You can't go to the mall. Why not? You're letting David go to the mall? That's because I love him more. No, it's because he was six years older than Andrew. There were things he did six years ahead of Andrew. So Andrew's like, I can't wait till I get there. David never had an I can't wait till I get that. He did without I can't wait until I get old enough to do that. Andrew didn't. Andrew went to Israel with me before David went to Israel. It was just the way things are. As much as I want to give equally to both of my children, it's just not possible for me to do that. It is possible for God to. God's not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody. How does he do that? I don't know because I can't do that. People say, do you love everybody in your congregation? Absolutely. Differently. Some more. Some I have to work more. I didn't mean to look at you, lad. That just happened to me. Just happened to me. Which, which. But the truth is we can't understand these things. And I think a big part of this whole tabernacle plan, because... The tabernacle teaches us how to love God, how to serve God, how to give to God, how to intercede for one another, how to lift one another up, how to be there for each other, how to give, what to give, what not to give, where to give. It teaches us that God wants us to meet with him. There's so many things in that one thing. It also shares the plan of redemption. All within this one little tent. And with all that it shares, there's so many things it doesn't share. that we just have to know that it will happen. And it's okay. I'm so glad we are allowed to not know things. I love it when people ask me questions on Saturday morning. They'll say, Rabbi, what do you think about this? Got no clue. 
That doesn't make me a bad rabbi. It makes me honest. There's lots of things I don't know anything about. There's a lot of things I do know stuff about. I'm okay with not knowing things. Please learn to be okay with not knowing things. More than that, please be okay with telling people that you don't know everything. One of the biggest, let me see how much time I got. I got another hour. One of the biggest controversies in the Messianic Hebrew roots movement is how to say the name of God. And the truth is, nobody knows. Nobody. It doesn't matter who they are, they do not know how to say the name of God. And if they dogmatically tell you they do, run. Because they're lying to you. Okay? And I'm not saying that to be mean, but I'm okay not knowing what his name was. You know why? Because when Yeshua was asked, how should we pray, he didn't give a name. He gave a relationship. Our Father. How should we pray? This is how we pray. Our Father. Perfect opportunity for the King of the universe, for God robed in flesh to straighten us all out. They asked him a point-blank question. How should we pray? God robed in flesh. The Eternal One walking among us said, Our Father, who art in heaven, revered, hallowed, respected, honored be your name. If there's any time in the time of history for God to straighten us out, that would have been it. If knowing how to pronounce that name was that important. But it's not about knowing how to pronounce the name. It's about knowing the one whose name it is. My wife, whom I love, we had during Ivan. Now, this has been a long time ago. Some of you don't even remember Ivan. Not this one, but the, the storm. We had a lady who came to synagogue for like two and a half years. They lived in uh, Slidell, Slidell, and they were hit by the storm, and so they came and worshipped with us, and they lived here while their house was going, and I think it was two and a half years, maybe a year and a half, irrelevant, irrelevant. Pammy called her Claudia the whole time she was here. Didn't you? Claudia. Every time she talked, Claudia. I thought it might be her middle name was Claudia. Maybe it was a name that she had told Pammy. You know, sometimes people go by their middle name or, or some. The whole time, Claudia, this, Claudia. And the lady answered. Pammy would talk to her, Claudia. She called, hey, Claudia. Never once said it wasn't her name. They had this wonderful relationship. We went places. We had dinner. They worshiped with us. We talked. Everything. And one day when they were getting ready to leave to go back to Louisiana, I asked, Pammy, do you know that her name's not Claudia? I waited all that long, just for the record. And Pammy said, it's not. I said, no. And so I asked the lady, I said, why didn't you tell it? Not once did you. And she said, I like the name Claudia. <laughs> so, so it was, but the point was, their relationship wasn't based upon the letters and sounds that made up what we called her. Their relationship was they became one in Messiah and loved one another. 
And that's what it's about with God. We don't have to know how to say his name. We have to know him. And the last thing I wanted to say is that it's within this week's Parsha that we get introduced to the bells and pomegranates on the bottom of the priest's robe. It's from the bells and pomegranates we get the unbiblical, untrue uh, legend of tying the rope around the priest's leg. Anybody ever heard that? You know, the priest would go in the Holy of Holies and they'd tie a rope around his leg and that way if he died while inside the Holy of Holies they could drag his carcass out by the bells, by the, by the rope. And the way, the way they'd know he died was the bells stopped ringing. Right? And it's, it's a great sermon. Especially if you're Pentecostal. You know? If, if, if exuberant worship is a part of it, man, that's a, it's just unbiblical. It's just untrue. When the high priest went in the Holy of Holies, the scripture tells us clearly all he was wearing was the white linen garments. He wasn't wearing the outer car garment with the bells and pomegranates on it. So if he wasn't wearing the bells and pomegranates, they probably didn't need a rope to get him out when the bells stopped ringing. So why bells and pomegranates? I think bells and pomegranates are there for you and I and for the people before us. The scripture says we're supposed to be kings and priests. We're supposed to be that intercessor for the world. We're supposed to love people enough to serve them, to, to be there for them, to pray for them, to intercede for them with Hashem. And I think the bells and, bells and pomegranates, pomegranates is a fruit. I, I like pomegranate juice. I, when I go to Israel, it's one of the first things I do is try to find one of those guys who puts the pomegranate on the thing and it goes, it's good. I like pomegranate juice. Pomegranate is a fruit. It's a delicious fruit. There, there's actually a saying that says there's 613 seeds in a pomegranate. The same amount as there are in Torah. Now, I've never counted. I have no intent on counting, but it sounds good. It sounds more kosher than the rope around the priest's leg. Let's put it that way. So, so if you have time one day, count the seeds in a pomegranate. Let me know if there's 613. There's not? Thank you. Okay. But pomegranate is a fruit, and then there's bells, and, and the bells make noise. And here's the thing, there's an equal number of bells and pomegranates. And I think it's telling us that we need to be as fruitful as we are loud. That many of us have a lot of fruit, we've got a lot of spirituality, but we never say anything about it. We never share what God's done in our life. We never share with other people. We never spread the gospel. We just have our own fruit over here. And then there's a whole bunch of us, especially within the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement, that can't shut up. We just a lot of noise. We got no fruit to show it. We attack, we condemn, we tell people how wrong they are, how right we are. We are just chock full of noise, but there's no fruit. And I think that if we're going to be priests for the Lord, 
We have to put on that outer garment that people can see. And we have to have an equal amount of fruit in our life and noise. That it has to be both. It's not enough just to have fruit. That fruit has to be there so other people can see it. It has to be a testimony. It has to be something we share. It has to be go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the gospel is the good news. It's our fruit. And it's also not good just to have a lot of noise. When I first came to the Messianic movement, I had a lot of noise. I looked for every opportunity. Matter of fact, when I first came to faith, I used to, you know, these street preachers out on the road, y'all ever run across them? Are they still out there now? You know, there's the, the people, they'd stand on the corner and they'd yell at cars. I used to pull off so I could yell at them. So you're on the road to hell. I'd pull off and say, excuse me, I was trying to get to Cordova. Can you tell me the road to Cordova? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to Cordova. I would argue, I would debate, I looked forward to the battle. I just couldn't wait until I came across somebody who didn't know something that I thought I knew so I could tell them how wrong they were. You mean you worship on Sunday? Don't you know Sunday is not the Sabbath? And that's true. But wouldn't it be better to introduce them to God? Because if you introduce them to God and they build a relationship, where are they going? Where he is. You can teach about Shabbat, and I do, and I think Shabbat is ultimate importance. But I think that first we should invite them to God and then share with them about Shabbat. You mean you hadn't cleaned all the yeast out of your house yet for Passover? Well, do they know the lamb? Do they know the lamb? Because if they don't know the lamb, they can get all the yeast out of their house. They're still not going to spend eternity with them. We need to be careful about how we share. Now, listen, when I say careful, I don't mean mousy. I don't think we should be awkward or, or limited in how we, in, that we do share. I think these things are important. I think Passover is important. I think the death, burial, and resurrection happens on Passover for a reason. I think it fulfills the story. I think it tells us who Yeshua is. I think it explains how his blood covers our sin. I, I think all of that is important, but if, we, if, if they don't believe in Yeshua, then Passover is just spending seven days eating uh, bread of affliction. And if you eat matzah for seven days, you'll know why. It's the bread of affliction. It's important that we understand that the most important thing God wants us to give is the tabernacle, and that's us. The tabernacle for the Ruach, the place where his spirit is supposed to dwell. That the offerings, you can give lots and lots of money and lots and lots of things and still be lost still be outside of his plan, outside of his will. Uh, you can do all kinds of things. You can know all kinds of things. I know 
scholars. Uh, one of uh, uh, a lady that I respect greatly, her scholarship is a lady named Amy Gillivine. She's a brilliant Jewish scholar on first century Messianic Judaism who's not a believer. All of her study is about the New Testament and she's not a believer. She teaches about Yeshua and his Jewishness and the disciples and their Jewishness and how to understand the New Testament. And she's brilliant, but she doesn't know Yeshua. That's not enough. I think the reason this Parsha gives so much information and so much lack of information at the same time is to remind us what's really important and what's not. And it really doesn't matter how the poles looked or how the curtains looked. Make this curtain and make it out of these colors and put an angel on it, two angels on it. Anybody know what that looked like? No. Does it matter? No. What matters is whose house it was and that he wanted us to feel welcome to be there. We get so caught up in the minutiae and in the argument that we miss out on the very purpose of being there. I've sat in synagogue. This will be my closing. I've sat in synagogue before. On the way in, someone said something to me that upset me. I know that's surprising that my humanity shows up periodically. But someone will say something, and it'll upset me. And I, not like an attack on me, but something going on in their world that's just upsetting. Maybe they did something, maybe someone else did something to them, maybe their family had problems, maybe whatever it was, it set me out. And then I spent time thinking about that and processing all that. And then all of a sudden I look up and Joe's finishing the liturgy. And I missed all of the worship. And didn't, didn't, I just did without worship because my mind was caught up on something different, something else. And I failed myself because I came to worship God and I spent all the time thinking about something else and missed out on worshiping. And then I got up here to speak. And thankfully, God goes beyond my humanity and every now and then he says something really brilliant through me. I say all that to say in, that I want to do something in closing today because I did something exactly like that today. And I hope this doesn't embarrass Lori. Uh, but Lori, come up here. Come on. We'll pretend you're Anna and I'm embarrassing you today. And David, you come up too if you don't mind. Lori had her arm in a sling this morning uh, because she's got a pain in the neck other than David. Actually, she has nine of them other than David, but that's all another story. So, but anyhow, she had her arm in a sling and she was grimacing in pain. And here's what I did. I said, let me go get you the business card for a doctor I know. Now, Lori came to synagogue where the great physician 
was going to meet with us. And instead of stopping and saying, let's pray for you so that you'll be healed and well and won't have this pain in the neck, just the other one. In my humanity, I said, let me get a human who can adjust you and possibly help you. So what I want to do today is first apologize to Lori and to you for failing and not just stopping and praying for you. Because that's a real thing. And then I just want everybody, if you would, to stand and we're just going to pray for Lori. Okay. Avinu Malkano, our Father, our King, we just humbly come before you. Knowing that you are the great physician, knowing that you're the designer, creator of the human body, and that you know where every cell, every joint, every ligament, every tendon, every nerve is supposed to be, and we just ask that you would align all so that all would be beseder, all would be in order. We ask that even as we pray right now, you would be moving and ministering and healing and touching, and that she would have freedom from this pain. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And I felt even worse because when I looked over, she was dancing with her arm in a sling. And I'm thinking, I should have prayed for her. I should have prayed for her. Listen, bells and pomegranates. Bells and pomegranates. It's wonderful to believe that God heals, but it's a whole other thing to actually speak of it and proclaim it. Tammy had too much of the kiddish wine. <laughs> Nearly 40 years ago, she fell for me, and she almost did it again. Almost. Abba, Father. Help us to understand the simplicity of your word while knowing its complexity. Help us to understand that it's okay for us not to know the things that we don't need to know, but we absolutely must know the things that are clear in your word. Abba, help us to hold on to your hand as you lead us and guide us. Help us to be priests in your kingdom with an equal amount of fruit and noise. Abba, help us to truly be an offering and a tabernacle. Abba, help us to let you rest within us as the way you desire to and to fellowship. Help us to think more about knowing you and less about knowing about you. Help us to hold on to those things that are absolutes while at the same time knowing that there are so many things we just are not going to fully understand. Help us to share that with others. Help us not to be so proud to say, I don't know. And help us to be absolutely blessed with those things that we do. In Yeshua's name.
remember if you're a first-time visitor and you filled out that visitor's card to come up and introduce yourself to me and uh, maybe I can answer any of the questions I caused today. Uh, number two, don't forget that Rabbi Wayne will be our special guest musician tonight at Rosh Chodesh slash Java Nagila and uh, come and join us for that and tomorrow morning 10 o'clock the Spanish Trail Craft Fair and Farmer's Market right here and uh, there'll be honey and all kinds of other stuff and candles and my books and all kinds of other stuff there so please come out and join us jay are you gonna have your coffee there tomorrow jay are you gonna have your coffee there tomorrow he is now well thank you so gather together with your loved ones Ve'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha V'chunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha V'yasem lecha shalom Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua, Meshachinu, Sar Shalom, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen and Amen. Shabbat Shalom.